0: Charles Stanley Radio, the latest economic updates, insights, and conversations with finance industry experts. Hello there, welcome to the latest podcast from Charles Stanley Radio. My name's Gary White, and I'm joined here today, as usual, by our Chief Global Economist, John Redwood. Hi, John. Um, We're going to talk about banks and um, inflation and interest rates today, but we, we can't really Um, Go through a podcast without mentioning what's going on in China because it's quite a serious challenge to President Xi, really. Probably the biggest he's seen.
1: Indeed, it has been. Um, Xi was very lucky that they didn't challenge him before the uh, big assembly, uh, gave him extra powers and voted in the people he wanted on the Politburo. He got away with all that, and it did look as if he'd strengthened his power greatly. I think it's still true that he's in a much stronger position with with the party hierarchy and with the government officials, Uh, but they began to forget the public. And the Mm -hmm. public in China have just had enough of three or four years of being locked down, uh, sometimes quite brutally uh, interrupted in doing their work or or locked into places of work uh, with huge impediments in the way of normal life. And I think probably the last straw was some of the Chinese seeing the pictures of happy people at the Qatar football competition Mm. enjoying themselves in a normal way without masks. It's been rumored that the Chinese television feed has to cut out the pictures of the crowd because they don't want them to see too many people (laughs) behaving normally and enjoying themselves. But it was enough to make people really frustrated uh, when it was coupled with a, a very unfortunate fire. Uh, where people died, um, and the protesters say that was partly because the lockdown impeded uh, getting emergency services in and freeing people uh, from the the building they were in. But I fear what's going to happen is there will just be a clampdown, and it looks mm. as if in, in the last 24 or 48 hours the, the police have moved in in much bigger numbers and they've made it clearer that they will be arresting protesters and probably putting some of them into prison. Uh, to make examples of them in the normal Chinese way. So I don't think we believe this is the start of a democratic revolution in China. And we do think that uh, President Xi uh, has incredible power at the top of the, the party, and he's been using the party's power uh, to put in an enormous amount of surveillance. And so people are very managed in China. Mm. They just spend a lot of their life on there mobile devices, and those mobile devices are clearly plugged into a central system so that their movements can be monitored, their spending habits can be monitored, uh, and they are either rewarded uh, or their lives are made more difficult uh, if the authorities uh, see them uh, behaving in a bad way, um, or they're rewarded if, if they're behaving in a better way. Uh, so I think we, we have to assume that Chinese control will continue. What is more interesting is will she then tried to move a little bit away from this um, very heavy-handed clamping every time there's an outbreak of COVID. His problem, of course, is that he's told people this is a really dangerous disease, uh, that so far on the official numbers, China has kept cases down, and kept deaths down in a way that didn't happen elsewhere in the world, where freer attitudes were accepted. Uh, And so it would be a bit of a disaster for him if he relaxed too much and Mm. then there was a wave of cases and a wave of deaths of elderly people and suddenly uh, his success in controlling COVID as he sees it uh, had been blown away. He would also look very weak. So whilst the markets were beginning to think before the protests occurred that maybe he would start relaxing, that maybe he would begin to realise that the economic damage wasn't worth all the hassle, or maybe they get better at rolling out more vaccinations as an excuse then to relax a bit more. I think it's probably slowed that down a bit, because I think Xi will understand that he mustn't look weak, and he's got to reinforce his principal idea, which is that
0: lockdowns protect the Chinese people from this disease. And currently, of so, um, places representing a fifth of Chinese GDP have some sort of measures enforced at the moment. So it is, is a significant thing that's happening and cases continue um, near an all time high. Yes, which is why we're
1: very worried about it from the world economic point of view, because we haven't been fans of investment in China for some time for a variety of different reasons. But China is a very important part of the world supply chain, particularly supplying a lot of the world's goods. I mean, a company like Apple, for example, Mm -hmm. has a a lot of production uh, through suppliers in China, which is being disrupted by these lockdowns. And and it is interrupting the flow of trade around the world. And it's very unpredictable because they they move very quickly. And quite a lot of Chinese production uh, is very heavily concentrated. So one city does one thing, another city does another thing. And so if thing you want to buy is suddenly in a city facing lockdown, then it does have quite a big impact on
0: world supply. Okay, that's uh, fascinating. We'll see how that pans out next year. So now let's talk to talk about banks. I mean, uh, boards of banks must be reasonably happy to have a rising interest rate environment after such a long time of near zero interest rates. They might be able to make some margin.
1: Yes, indeed. I mean, um, commercial bank shares have benefited a bit over the last year from the realization that interest rates are going to go up but i think the banks that are at the center of the debate still are of course the central banks themselves uh, and what we're seeing um, is that the the central banks are coming under more pressure for the mistakes that the principal ones in the advanced world made uh, by running with very low interest rates for too long and by printing too much money to buy bonds. Uh, They took bond prices way too high, created a totally artificial market. Uh, In the process, they bought an awful lot of bonds themselves. And now they're reversing the process and putting interest rates up and in some cases beginning to sell the bond portfolios. They are, of course, incurring very large losses. So Mm -hmm. now there's quite a lot of interest in who pays for the losses, how serious are the losses, does any of it matter? Because these losses will continue for, for years, I assume. Well, indeed, I mean, the the most popular way for a central bank to deal with the fact that it owns too many bonds bought at the wrong price is to let them run off as the governments have to repay them. Uh, And that's um, the least damaging way of gradually reducing the portfolio over time. It spreads the losses out over many years because they bought some very long-dated bonds as well as shorter-dated bonds. Uh, So it phases it. And it reduces the losses a bit compared with current market prices in many mm-hmm. cases because uh, they will be worth a bit more on eventual uh, repayment than they are today at market prices, particularly true in the in United States of America. But what is interesting is that the different jurisdictions are approaching it in different ways. And so in the case of the United States of America, um, the Treasury and the taxpayers are just saying these losses are nothing to do with us. Uh, You, the Federal Reserve Board, when you record a loss, when you you sell a bond and you've made a loss on it, uh, you need to just put an item on your balance sheet to say, you know what, we made a loss, uh, and it will be covered by creating an artificial asset, uh, a deferred asset, which is a kind of hope of future profits to offset the loss that the, the bank has actually incurred. And the American commentators rightly point out Um, The central bank is the exception to the rule. It's it's a company or organisation which can trade at a loss and can still always pay its bills because, of course, it can just create money in order to to pay the (laughs) bills in in a way that no one else could do and it would be illegal if they traded in that way. Uh, Whereas the the Europeans are are saying um, we probably may need uh, to recapitalize banks, but they want to leave that to the individual member states. And so what we have in Europe is a a very different structure. Uh, The European Central Bank is actually owned by the national banks in each of the member states. Although in every other way, the national banks of the member states are subservient to the ECB. They have to follow ECB policy on Mm -hmm. on money and and bond buying. Uh, But when it comes to the issue of the losses, the ECB is saying, why don't you yeah, take eighty percent of the losses? <laughs> uh, and it may be all right because you may have enough reserves, and you do, you just draw down the reserves. Uh, but if you do feel you need to recapitalize, then talk to your government because uh, we won't be recapitalizing you. Yeah, well,
0: ultimately, the lender of last resort for these central banks is going to be the taxpayer,
1: is it not? Well, indeed. And and of course, Bank of England is actually supported by a full treasury guarantee. So none of these arguments apply to the United Kingdom because they're simply going to get the the losses paid by the taxpayers. But the the other big ones, I think, are really interesting because it's not particularly stable. um, And we need to watch what impact it has on the central banks in their conduct mm. as to how quickly they want to run these bond portfolios off. I think in the case of the European Central Bank, this is a major constraint on not running the portfolio off too quickly. They mm. have delayed a formal announcement that they're going to start selling the bonds into the market in the way that um, the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve Board are already doing. And if they do get round to it, I think they'll want to do it at a very modest pace because otherwise this issue of who pays the losses could become quite important.
0: Excellent. Thank you, John. That's really interesting. Thanks for joining us and hope you enjoyed listening to this. And join me and John next time on Charles Stanley Radio. Thank you. Charles Stanley Radio. Subscribe today to be kept up to date with our latest releases. To find out more, visit charles-stanley.co.uk forward slash charles-stanley-radio. The value of investments can fall as well as rise. Investors may get less back than invested. Past performance is not a reliable guide to the future.